Now, I joined SIBO actually before we were doing a lot of the work today focused in the carbon space. Um, and I really joined the company because I was drawn to the technology and the fact that it was nascent and a startup. Um, so when I joined, we were focusing on how do we take this amazing crop modeling, carbon and environmental modeling technology and use it to answer big questions for big agriculture. Um, and I was incredibly compelled by the notion of, you know, being able to do something early and new and figure out this new and evolving technology. Um, personally, I love being able to work at a company today that's very much focused on how do we help mitigate climate change, even more so how do we make the agricultural systems better for farmers and for our planet so we can continue to sustain our food systems. Um, but when I joined the company, man, I was incredibly passionate about bringing a new technology to market and making it real. Billy, the same thing or, or different? Um, for for me, it was a little bit different. I came on just uh, two, two and a half years ago, and I was drawn to SIBO because uh, I know some of the principles here from working together in previous organizations, and I just have an incredibly high immense respect for them, for our CEO, and for um, some of the leads and uh, managers and VPs on the uh, engineering and dev side. Um, they were mentors to me in my early career. Um, and when uh, we started having conversations about what SIBO was doing, it was like, hey, these I get to work with really smart people and we're doing something that's really incredible and amazing for the, the global environment. That's something that I have been passionate about. I did a lot of work on that in my graduate degrees in college. Um, but never had the chance to work on that professionally. And so I saw this as a mending uh, or a, a blending rather of that passion with incredibly smart people um, who I've got a lot of respect for. And then through that, I get to meet and work with people like Jeanette and her team and the rest of the uh, the SIBO organization. So it was it's a really special place to be. And that was a really neat and unique draw to that brought me here. That's great. Jeanette, what about the early days? What was it that uh, what were kind of the origins of, of SIBO? Yeah. What was that kind of that, you know, the, the problem that was, you know, the founders set out to solve? Yeah, absolutely. So we were founded in 2015 by Flagship Pioneering, same company that founded Moderna, um, and really founded with the notion of being able to use models and, and technology to answer questions about what's occurring on the ground um, in an in, in agricultural system. Um, you know, things like how much yield we can produce, you know, how much fertilizers are required, how much pollution are we putting out, um, and really focusing on how do we, again, use the models as opposed to going out and sampling and putting sensors into ground, because that's not cost effective, it's not scalable. Um, and in the beginning, we were using the technology really to try and answer big questions for like a big agriculture companies more in a consulting model. And really in the past four or five years, we flipped towards a product model. Um, and that's where we're focusing on taking all this amazing science and technology and building one product that can serve multiple use cases across the ecosystem. Um, and so we started actually a few years ago 
um, you know, 2019, 2020, 20, making um, Zillow for agriculture. So we launched a platform where we used our technology to tell you everything you could possibly want to know about a farm field. And some of those things that you wanted to know included things like how much nitrogen do I typically leach from this field or how much greenhouse gases do I produce? Because we care also about sustainability in our ag ecosystem and farmers care about sustainability too. Even if they're, they're not directly maybe thinking about the greenhouse gas emissions and climate change, they're absolutely thinking about maintaining their soil health and productivity and not wasting fertilizer and resources. Um, so it's really been amazing really over the past um, two years going from Zillow for Ag, um, where we got a lot of amazing feedback, particularly about the sustainability metrics we were putting out in the platform, um, and then recognizing that the same technology, the same metrics could be used to answer this new and evolving carbon market use case. And so the past two, two and a half years have been focused on really um, building out the validity, the credibility, um, and the scale of our ability to predict things like how much greenhouse gases are produced when I grow a corn crop on a certain farm field. Um, and we've used that capability now to enable our customers to access carbon markets. Has, was the product always headed in that direction or was there something that changed externally or maybe with customers that you're like, oh, this is okay, let's really double down on this direction and let's and let's pivot in that way. Oh, absolutely. 2019 regenerative agriculture became this new and emerging trend and, and word. And I'm a soil scientist by training. I've spent my career in ag. Um, regenerative agriculture meant nothing to me in 2019. Um, I heard of this thing called conservation agriculture. That's what I was trained to do. Um, but now not only you know, do I know what conservation ag is, I'm hearing like all of the industry and all the marketing guys starting to talk about regenerative ag, which you know were the same principles very familiar with in conservation, like cover cropping and no-till. Um, and actually went to um, an event called the Climate Underground that was hosted uh, by Al Gore on his farm in 2019. And that was the first time I've heard of regenerative agriculture. And there were, you know, organizations like you know, McDonald's were there, you know, General Mills was there. Um, all of the ag companies and CPG companies were there as long as well as investors all talking about regenerative ag, um, soil health, and how we can use these practices to improve our systems. Um, and the other thing they were all talking about was scale. People were doing this stuff at very small pilots, but nobody could achieve scale. Nobody really knew how. Um, and it became incredibly apparent that, you know, wow, this is a thing that's going to happen. There are big players investing in this space like General Mills, you know, like Pepsi, like Danone, like McDonald's. Um, there, there's motivation there. You know, the, the government is motivated to invest in these practices. Um, and the use case, the economic financial use case to invest in building out our platform for sustainability and carbon had emerged. Um, and that's really kind of when we made the decision to, you know, instead of trying to focus everything on, um, tell me everything about a farm field so that I know how to operate it or if I should buy it or invest in it. Tell me everything I need to know about this farm field so that I can enroll it in a carbon market and actually prove, you know, that I'm generating carbon offsets. Also in that, guys, you know, very much focused on leveraging the science, technology, and platform to understand the opportunity associated with making the switch to regenerative ag. 
because you know it's very uncertain. And so we'd like to give farmers and those who work with farmers, like their agronomists and trusted advisors, information upfront about what will happen if the farmer actually makes the financial, you know, and emotional and risky investment um, to switch to regenerative ag. And so the farmer is able to understand the opportunity size before they sign a contract. And similarly, the organizations who are typically paying the farmer to make the practice change can see what the return will be before they decide to make that investment as well. I, I have to ask, from a from a product standpoint, company standpoint, obviously you saw this opportunity, you saw a shift, and you and you went with it, you reacted with it, right? But personally, you're you, you've studied soil, you're studying uh, conservation. Do you feel like you're getting this attention you didn't expect from others that you didn't expect to get it from right 100%, now? Hundred percent, yes. Um, and I started studying soil. You know, I you, let's see. I I mean, I've been at Cibo for uh, close to six years. I was in academia studying soil ten years before that. Um, and, you know, it certainly wasn't cool. There was no such thing as soil health. I did not, I've never, I did not hear of soil health until I think 2016, 2017. Um, it was, it was really just, again, about, you know, conservation soils, very, you know, shrinking field, not a growing field, but a lot of interest in soil carbon. So a lot of the money, I specialize in digital soil mapping. So writing algorithms to tell you how much carbon's in the soil. Um, that's, that's kind of where the funding was. Um, and, um, but, you know, it was still more, more, people weren't really becoming soil scientists. It wasn't growing. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but I think 2015 was the year of world year of soils, international year of soils and, and soil health became a thing. And now with, you know, this explosion of interest in soil carbon sequestration, like there's all these young and emerging soil scientists and people talking about it. And honestly, it's, I, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. When it first started and I first started hearing about soil health, I was kind of put off, you know, and my immediate reaction was what the F is soil health? Like who made up this crap? You know, Billy, my colleague, what marketing guy made up this crap? That's exactly what I thought. Um, because we talked about soil health a lot as an emerging definition, you know, nobody knows what it is. We know it's a thing. Um, so I was kind of put off in a little bit, you know, like, um, you know, oh, all these new people are coming to my party. Um, I thought soil was cool and I thought I was the only one. Um, but it has been really recently in the past few years, I think, very exciting for me. Um, and I've really started to gain a real perspective on soil health. Um, and this notion that, you know, what really differentiates it from things like soil quality or what I would have learned about in school um, is that the soil is alive. You know, it is full of these beautiful microbial communities. It's living, you know, in symbiosis with, with the plants, you know, in the farm field around it. Um, and that soils, you know, have a purpose. Um, and really their soil health and their purpose is de defined by where they are and what they're doing. So a healthy soil, you know, in a farm field is very different than a healthy soil, you know, in a pine forest and things like that. Yeah, that's cool. Billy, how does uh, Jeanette's path compare to yours? I think in some ways it may be a little different. I, I think you and I have similar paths uh, into this world, but share a little bit about yours. 
Yeah, you know, the the path into this world for me really just started out in the in the technology space. I'm a marketer, but I came to marketing through the world of development and programming. And that went from startups to very large global businesses and then back down to to B2B focused startups, um, which I, was where I found my passion. Um, I love the growth story and, you know, sometimes it's hair on fire and sometimes in, in, in times like SIBO, you get to be at the right place at the right time where you have this confluence of, of local and then national and global trends that are all converging around the same time that by God, you have this technology, you have a product, you have a service that meets all or most of those needs. And it's it's literally a eureka moment. And so as Jeanette's describing kind of the emergence of, um, you know, regenerative agriculture as a thing, um, that's, you know, at right around the same time that I'm coming on board with SIBO Technologies to be, you know, to, to lead marketing here. And I have the great privilege and opportunity to be telling the story at the time when the world is listening. You've got renewed interest from, um, you know, all the the COP, the, the annual COP agreements. You've got renewed interest in the IPCC regulations, in the emerging regulations around ESG reporting and scope three. That's, that's top of everybody's mind right now, not just here in the US, but around the world and especially over in, in Europe. It makes for a really exciting time to be part of an organization like SIBO. And the pathway here for for me personally, starting out as a as a developer and slinging code, um, that uniquely positioned me to be able to be in a place where I can understand the technological um, capabilities, the features, the advantages, the benefits, and the unique the uniqueness of what we're doing with AI based modeling and satellite based computer vision. I can speak that language. I can understand what's going on at that code level. And that helps us then be able to tell a much more compelling story about our capabilities and how we meet the specific needs or address these, these new trends. And with any sort of a trend environment like we have right now, whether it's um, regenerative agriculture or carbon farming or you know putting carbon intensity scores on your consumer packaged goods products, um, scope three reporting, these are all they're all still changing and shifting. It's a very dynamic space. Nobody's decided this is exactly what uh, regenerative agriculture means from a practice standpoint. There's really good overlap on that. Like if you were to draw a Venn diagram, there's there's pretty pretty good agreement, except around the edges, on other things like what counts as a scope three um, emissions report, um, and how does technology address this, or how do we address scale when it comes to things like uh, soil sampling and modeling of of soil organic carbon um, quantification year over year. Those are very, very deep technical issues, and the opportunity to be able to tell that story from a technical platform standpoint that we have at SIBO to a market that is starting to listen, that's that's an incredible opportunity, and, and I'm really fortunate um, to be able to be here and to be able to do it with people like Jeanette and the rest of the SIBO Technologies team who have that long history of deep understanding, deep matriculation, and then deep professional experience to come through that, 
that's a it's really a, a great um, opportunity to be a, a marketing and to lead a, a marketing initiative at an organization like this. Yeah, you mentioned the the needs and the story of that, Jeanette. Whenever you were kind of interacting with some of the earlier adopters, I'm assuming you had some interactions with them. Like, who who would you say were the ones who were the quickest to kind of understand what SIBO was up to and and start to ask questions and start to you know put it to use? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think when we started approaching the market, um, you know, it was it still is, but it was very very nascent. Um, and there hadn't, you know, there, there, there weren't even a protocol established yet on a major registry for developing offsets from soil carbon, um, you know, let alone products to, to help, you know, make that happen. Um, and because we had built this Zillow for Ag platform, we had a product, you know, and we're an agile software company. And as Billy said, we have, you know, great developers and leadership who enable us to be really agile. Um, and so we were able to quickly like morph our platform into a tool that someone could see and actually we could show you, oh, look, we can click a button on a field and tell you how many carbon credits. Um, so we were able to get out really efficiently in front of the market and get a lot of feedback. Um, kind of what what we heard, you know, across the board, not only from the science, you know, from the from the farmer side, um, you know, but also from kind of the ag retailer, the farm gate, those who own the relationships with farmers, you know, the agricultural companies. Um, there was a lot of concern associated with e ease of access to these markets. A lot of the time, the criteria associated with developing a carbon credit, you know, the, the requirements are very burdensome, particularly to the farmer. Um, so one piece of feedback we got across the board was that it needs to be, you know, something that's tolerable to the farmer, the type of programs that are evolving. Um, and, and out of that, we also started evolving our product strategy to incorporate scope three emission reductions with have a slightly different, um, I don't want to say quality bar because the quality is very high, but you're looking at more about emission reductions than these fungible offsets, you know, assets of removals. And so it, it might not have the same strictness of years of commitment and requirements. Um, so, you know, learning from the market that offsets are really challenging. Most farmers aren't going to qualify for them or engage. We started to expand into scope three. Um, that was a big one was, was just how difficult it is and contracts and things like that. Another really big learning we had um, was around, you know, how do, how do you actually engage, you know, when we talk to farmers and show them this type of information, what do they actually care about? We started to learn a lot about how farmers um, don't care. You know, I don't want to say they don't care. They're not talking about climate change. This isn't the reason that they're doing a regenerative practice. Um, and as we started to go out and get more feedback from farmers, we learned a lot that the type of information that our platform could provide them that was valuable was really focused on, you know, other outcomes besides just, um, you know, how many tons of CO2 am I going to sequester? You know, what they really care about is how is this going to affect my long-term productivity? Is this going to hurt my yield? Um, how much money am I going to get from engaging in this program? And, you know, at what's going to happen to me if I unenroll? You know, am I going to get sued? Those are the type of questions that we learned. And then on the other side of the market, what we learned, you know, the other side being the buy side, who's buying these carbon credits from the farmers. Um, what we learned was that they want, you know, incredibly strict contracts and they want to make sure that these credits are locked down. 
Um, and it's all about climate change and emission reductions. Um, so, you know, kind of a big disconnect between the motivation of the supply side and the demand side. Um, and we have had a really challenging and also fun and exciting time in, in our product team and development team trying to figure out how do we create a platform that serves both sides of that industry. Um, and, you know, what we found is like, we have a side of our platform that's focusing quite a bit on grower enrollment and the companies who work with farmers and actually making it very easy for them to understand that opportunity size. You know, how much money am I gonna get? What's the commitment of this program? What's the outcome? Really helping the farmer and the advisor of the farmer see those outcomes really early in advance before they put any effort into the product and the platform and signing contracts, making it easy, getting them hooked. Um, and then on the other side, it's really about enabling the companies who are making claims, emission reductions or removals or credits off of the actions that the farmers are taking, i.e. implementing regenerative ag. And what we do is provide from all that data we've collected in the platform from the farmer, we're able to run the model and provide all of the reporting and verification that's needed to go to a registry or, or an agency that we're making claims with. Um, and we try and keep that very simple. Um, and so when we're working with a CPG company, they don't wanna use our whole product platform. They don't wanna enroll growers. They don't wanna click around on fields. They want a report that goes to their greenhouse gas audit. Um, but on the farmer side, it looks very different. And so it's really about being able to create a product that can serve both use cases. Um, and then the other thing we do is license our whole platform for everybody in between. So there are other organizations who use our platform completely white labeled as their own carbon program. Um, and that's really, um, I think that's that's probably the most exciting piece for us is that um, we really in the past couple of years have solidified our strategy around um, not going directly to farmers. This was a huge learning from the market and getting a lot of that early feedback on the product. Um, farmers don't want to engage with SIBO, the software company. They already have a guy they trust, um, and it's not us. And so what we really have learned and have been executing on is this notion of, you know, those who are using our software are the organizations that already know farmers. They're our representatives. They're the ones who are telling the story as to why a farmer should enroll, not, you know, not Billy, the marketing guy, or Jeanette, the soil science scientist who wants to talk about climate change. You know, it's their seed salesman who actually understands their agronomy and their operation. Yeah. What's your, what's sort of the most effective, typically kind of value prop or messaging point to an advisor? And what do you think they then communicate to the growers? Is it the same thing? I, mean, I would guess it's, there's a bit of a translation that they then give to the growers. Yeah. Well, I'll say our value prop to the agronomist is get that grower to enroll and we'll pay you a buck an acre. Or, you know, get that grower to enroll and you're providing them a service. You know, you just brought them dollars to their pocket and now they're going to want to come back and work with you more. So the value prop to the, to the trusted advisor is, you know, winning the confidence of your farmer customer. You know, you have a couple touch points with your customer every year where you're selling them products. Here's another opportunity for another touch point, you know, and a way for you to bring them real value, real dollars. Um, by making it easy for them to engage and get paid. 
Um, that's really important um, because right now um, the, far, the farm gate, again, those organizations and advisors and agronomists and companies that own relationships with farmers are skeptical about carbon markets because you know what? They're farmers too. Um, and they understand that a cover crop and tillage is not a one solve, you know, one fits all solution. And so we really have to, you know, win over the farm gate one by, by letting them know that, you know, we're not trying to pull one over on their customers being extremely transparent um, and compensating them for their time and effort. So I think that's really important. Um, also, it's really important for those guys to understand that they're not going to get their customers involved in a bad situation. Um, they care a lot about the contracts. Like, I want to make sure that my grower customer is not going to get in trouble if their cover crop doesn't come up. And then when we look to the farmers, you know, the value proposition is number one, money. You know, you are going to get X dollars and it's going to pay for your practices. And here's how much upside you're going to get from the carbon over time. That's number one, the dollars. Um, and then number two value proposition is all of the co-benefits. Like the fact that doing these practices are going to increase your long-term productivity, your yield stability, um, and enable you to pass on the farm to the next generation. Um, and that's it. Yeah, Bill and I... Go ahead. You and I were talking about this a little bit last time. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about the, you know, kind of the explosion of these concepts and just in the in the general um, public awareness of regenerative agriculture and carbon markets. And so some of these terms are becoming, you know, commonplace now. You see them on the news. The same thing goes for for growers around the world and for agronomists and their and the trusted advisors, the seed reps. And so there's a good awareness that, hey, there are programs out there that might pay me for doing something that I could consider doing. I want to know more. And so as we are able to equip and enable the, the agronomists, the trusted advisors, the seed reps but to say, hey, here's exactly what that means. Here's what it means if your, if your growers or the fields that you help manage um, start doing cover cropping on these acres or start doing low till or no till or reducing um, input applications. And here, and then just like Jeanette said, and then here's the, the, you know, dollar outcome for you, for, for you, for your grower. Here's the, um, here's the carbon uh, output for you and your grower. Some of these programs um, you know, the, the growers are already involved with, I mean, state programs and federal programs have existed for, for decades and, you know, growers who are already involved in those, they want to make sure that they're not going to jeopardize that for an extra, you know, 20 bucks an acre or 30 bucks an acre, 40 bucks an acre, whatever it may be. They want to know how these, how these coexist. And so that's also a big part of our value proposition is saying, Hey, we understand there's a, you know, there's a a whole um, continuum of programs and incentives and opportunities. We make it really easy for you to enroll your growers so that they're not going up, you know, into the back closet looking for, you know, through the shoebox for receipts from 10 years ago for what did they actually do from, you know, fertilizer application back then. We're able to sense all that stuff, you know, from space. We're able to infer it with our data models to an incredibly high degree of accuracy. That just really makes it fast and easy for people to go, oh, yeah, now I'm, I know that I can sign up for this and it's not going to interfere with the existing program that I've got. 
and I've got an opportunity to create a brand new practice on these, you know, on these it's other really, acres that I also farm. Billy, I have to jump yeah. in just because I think you nailed the two value props. It's fast and it's easy. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really when we talk about why use our technology, you know, I think the, a lot of value props I talked about were why engage in carbon markets at all. You know, if you want to use SIBO's technology, you're using it because it enables you to engage in a way more efficient process than otherwise. And so for that trusted advisor, he's able to run all of his farmers fields through our platform and know their carbon opportunity immediately. Um, and for the farmer, when he needs to get enrolled in the program, he doesn't have to spend hours and hours and hours uploading data fast and easy. Yep. Their job is to farm. It's that's it. Right. And we don't want to distract them from, from doing what they know, what they love and what we all rely on. Right. One of the other things I think is fascinating about this is just the generational aspect, which cuts both ways. I mean, in some ways you've got sort of this, hey, this is how we've been doing it for years and years and years that in some ways you're going up against, right? There's something new and new isn't how we've been doing it. At the same time, part of you, you mentioned it, one of your value props is, hey, this is good for you long-term, right? Like this is going to pay off for generations as well. So if you're a generational type thinker, you should like this, not be afraid of it, right? You don't, you don't need to be slow to the game here. You can actually jump on it quicker and you can start seeing the benefits of it. But in my experience, that's not the number one selling point, right? Like that, the long-term stuff always has to be like the supporting point. You have to be able to say like, with what you're doing today, you can stack these programs, you can see payback immediately, and by the way, it's good long-term also, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you look at, you know, growers, you know, in, in America, you know, there's, you know, 50, 55, 56% of, of um, farm acreage in the U.S., at least for row crops is, is rented. And those rental terms are usually, you know, between one and three years. And so, you know, uh, the, thinking about that, a grower might be, you know, might have a three-year contract. It might be, they might be renewing it for decades, but it's a three-year, you know, it's a three-year rental agreement. They could switch. And so that's kind of their time horizon to, you know, if they're going to take on a new field, they want to be able to see, you know, I've got to make money on this this year and do things that are going to maybe improve it if I want to think about keeping that, keeping that acreage. So that's just the reality of doing business with growers, um, you know, kind of in, in the business of, of agriculture. Um, so that, that sense of look, farm profitability is really, really important. And, um, you're not going to subordinate that goal to, you know, some kind of pie in the sky goal. Um, so it's gotta be practical, but also have that long-term vision. Yeah. Jeanette, are there, like technical obstacles that you guys have overcome recently or in the past, or just really gnarly challenges that you're like, man, I'm so glad that's behind us. And now we can focus on other things. Is there anything that oh, comes to mind when yeah. I mentioned that? <laughs> yes. I mean, a big technical challenge um, was, was developing our computer vision pipeline for be, being able to predict things like, you know, what are all the practices occurring on the ground, um, cash crop, cover crop, um, that was a huge, a huge epic undertaking, uh, you know, really that took years to build out that platform to be able to bring in all the satellite imagery um, and um, then build out this really advanced neural network so we can, you know, keep identifying new things over time. Um, and, you know, a big, a big hurdle in that process, you know, is data. Um, and so when you're using AI, it really is 
hugely data dependent. It doesn't matter how good your model is. Um, and traditional computer vision, when we think about like identifying is something a picture of a cat or is it a dog, right? A, a, a model will have millions of images of cats and dogs to train on. Um, but we don't have millions of images of cover crops on a field at a known point in time and space. And so we're very data limited. And we ran into a big hurdle when we had developed, you know, some versions of our cover crop output um, and used our, you know, data sets, the data points that we had to validate. And we had a good validation and our computer vision, our head engineer Ernesto said, all right, guys, but don't believe the validation because we have a small data set that we're using. Um, and we came across, you know, a, a potential customer we were, we were working with and they gave us a data set to validate against. And it was like, you know, it was not, we thought we were like 90 and this thing was like, you know, closer to like 40 or 50 or 60, you know, um, that was a huge, you know, a huge wake up call. And since then we have put enormous effort into actually figuring out how to create these data sets, training data sets, because they don't exist. Like there is no data. There's not enough, you know, data out there in that's already been collected in an established data set that you can just go and find. So you need to create it. Um, and so our team has been very creative in figuring out how do we label data and how do we create the data sets that we need to improve our models. And similarly on the tillage side. So that's something that I'm glad that, you know, we got to the point where it's good enough. The other piece is the Salus model, the model that we licensed from MSU. Michigan State University um, and trying to achieve real scale there. So when we inherited the model, you know, and still in academia, when they talk about scale, we're talking about maybe thousands of fields, you know, maybe in, in different distinct geographies. Um, when we talk about scale at SIBO, we need this model to run accurately on millions, you know, tens of millions of fields and, and hundreds of millions of acres of farmland. Um, that is very different um, than in an academic institution where you're going to have, you know, a PhD in training, sitting there, hand calibrating and parameterizing the model on every single field. Now we need to be able to do this across millions of fields without an expert user. It's got to be automated. And so that process of spending years, I mean, we spent probably the first four or five years of the company. Um, really putting effort into going inside of this model with the right data, the, these crop models, and making them work and predict things like yield and carbon well everywhere we need to use them. And also building out all these massive data sets to feed into the model and parameterize it so it can run without an expert user putting data in it. That was a huge challenge. When we finally got to the point as a company where we said our corn and soy models are the best, you know, that was it. That was like the major hurdle. And it's like, oh, God, now we can stop talking about how accurate our corn yielding is. And now we can start talking about something more, more interesting, like computer vision or something. But that was a big unblock for us was like being able to say we're done just making these crop models better. It's time to move on to, to brighter pastures. <laughs> Yeah. Did you feel personally prepared for that? I mean, coming out, it sounds like you're trained to be a, a soil and conservation person, but yet you're here in neck deep in data science and statistics. Yeah. I mean, was that? That was a, a transition, you know, in the soil side, my background is in digital mapping. So I did a lot of algorithm development, which is kind of heavy in data science, but you know, I've never, I've never worked in a software company. Um, and, and, and yes, 
it was very interesting to, to make the chains and transition over, especially on, you know, a lot of the computer vision side and things like that. Um, the, you know, as a scientist in academia, you tend to be one person doing everything yourself. You know, you work with some of your colleagues, but it's really about you as an individual ta tackling some huge monumentous task and delivering it. Um, and in a company and at SIBO, it's not just you. You have these amazing other scientists or as me as a product person or, or someone who's bringing a, a vision, these amazing engineers and scientists who actually go and deliver on it. And so for me at SIBO, the most exciting and rewarding and, and life-changing part of being at this company was understanding that when you have a team and you have the right people who can understand that vision and execute on it, you can really accomplish anything. And that's like, you know, I love working in a company that's about sustainability and helping the environment and farmers and the climate, but I, I love much, much more working at a company with phenomenal engineers and scientists and teammates that we can just go out and be agile and, and crush these products. That's, that's yeah. what really does it for me. That's a great feeling. Billy, what would you add to that? I'm sure you echo similar thoughts, but what would you add to it? What's, what's rewarding on your side? Yeah. You know, it's, it's being, being able to tell the story about we're the company that executes it's not just about beating our chest or waving some flags around and, and issuing press releases, but it's actually being able to say, you know, look, this isn't purely aspirational. We're actually executing and being able to, to point to that and say, yeah, that works. Yeah, that has peer reviewed, scientifically valid, um, high confidence results that that we can point to that are that are now published. Um Having that ability to say that we're the organization that executes rather than we've got a really good idea is a big differentiator, especially in this market. There's a lot of, of people who are talking about climate change, who are talking about regenerative agriculture. There's cool ideas coming out of Silicon Valley and, and universities, um, and there's merit to those ideas, but they haven't yet executed or being been able to execute at agricultural scale. And when we're talking about this this space and this market and serving farmers, that's really the only thing that matters.